1: just that we get to preview Oklahoma and Nebraska. That's a game, you know, for all of us old guys who remember the dominance of both teams back in the 80s, the dominance of Nebraska in the 90s, the rise of the Oklahoma football program back into the early 2000s. It's not just that that game is coming back for one more time. It's also the return of the True or False segment for the Sooner Nation podcast. That's what's going to make this episode special. What's up, everybody? This is Matt Hofeld from Heartland Sports. -sports Heartland-sports.com. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Oklahoma, Nebraska, 11 a.m. kickoff. Nothing we can do about that other than leave the Big 12 for the SEC, but it is what it is. Oklahoma, first road test of the season. And really, it's the first road test, if you think about it, this isn't just the first road test for Oklahoma as a program. This is the first road test for Brent Venables as a head coach for Jeff Lebby as a as you know as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator. It's the first road test for Dylan Gabriel as Oklahoma's quarterback. I mean, there's there's a lot going on here with Oklahoma heading up to Nebraska. Now, obviously, there have been bigger moments for. Brent Venables than what's about to take place in Lincoln on Saturday. Here's a guy who's coached in countless conference championship games. He's coached in national championship games. I don't think that this is a bigger atmosphere than what Jeff Levy's ever been involved in. Um, You know, Ole Miss Mississippi Ole Miss uh, Alabama I mean he's been around he, he's he's coaching some pretty big games as well when he was in the SEC but I think Dylan Gabriel may be where you have a point here when you're talking about maybe if the moment is going to get big and if it's going to affect one person on one key component of what Oklahoma does and does well Dylan Gabriel may be the guy that um That you point to, that that you look at. Um, Even if you go to the other side of the field, you got Casey Thompson over there. And uh, as much as this game means to Nebraska fans, as much as it means for Oklahoma fans in terms of nostalgia and the history of the rivalry and all that stuff, I think last year's big you know, Red River rivalry game where Casey Thompson started against Oklahoma for the Texas Longhorns, that was probably bigger in terms of momentum, in terms of uh, impact, in terms of what was really on the line for both programs. So, I mean, if you're looking for something, if you're Nebraska, you're looking for something that you can hang on to and say, well, we got this advantage right here. It might be, it just, It just might be that you find that in Dylan Gabriel. But then again, maybe not. Oklahoma's going up against a Nebraska defense that gives up an average of 31 points per game, 492 yards of total offense they've allowed their opponents per game. 284.7 284.7 of those yards come through the air, 207.3 on the ground. I mean, th- this should be good for Oklahoma's offense. This should be something in, in which the Sooner offense finds success early and often. I, I know we can go back and we can talk more about Kent State and those first four offensive possessions last Saturday night in Norman. But at this point, I think you have to consider that an anomaly. You have to consider that, uh, especially after you look at, Uh, The film again, after you hear what the coaches said, just kind of like, you know, I mean, I heard Joe John Finley say just uh, I'm recording this on Thursday, the 15th of September. I I heard Joe John Finley say, you know, when you look at that, I don't think there's one specific person that you can fault those first four stalled drives on. It's just a schematic that wasn't working that they were trying. Now this is not Joe John Finley saying this, this is back to me. Joe John Finley said it was schematics that weren't that weren't working. To me that means they were trying things out. They were trying some things out to see if they would work. I don't think we have seen either the full reins of Oklahoma's offense let loose, and that same thing for Oklahoma's defense. And if you're going to push me on on which do we see come out of its shell a little bit on Saturday in Lincoln, it's got to be on the defense and not really on the offense when you look at what Oklahoma's up against. I mean, th- this is, this is a, a, an offense, uh, excuse me, a defense that gave up. Think about this. They gave up almost 700 yards of total offense to South Alabama. Did you catch that? They played Southern Alabama and they gave up Southern Alabama. That doesn't make sense. Southern Georgia. Sorry. They played Southern Georgia and gave up almost 700 yards of offense. That that's a mind blowing stat. Mind blowing. So if Oklahoma has to come out of its shell for this Nebraska game, if If they've got to do some some things that just are out of the normal from what we've seen in game one and game two i then you've got you've got to have some concerns i I think if you're jeff lebby, you've got you know here here's real fast jump out here and start Here's your three offensive keys to success in my opinion, if you're Jeff lebby, I think you got to remain balanced. I mean, everything about this Nebraska defense tells you you should be able to remain balanced. They're allowing they're allowing over 200 yards per game on the air. They're, they're allowing over 200 yards per game on the ground. And, and balance is kind of Jeff Levy's specialty. You know, in the three years prior to him coming to Oklahoma, he had fi- 15 times, 15 different times, his offense had... 200 yards of passing yards, or 200 yards of passing and 200 yards of rushing. 15 different times that happened. I mean, he's a guy who likes to bring balance. And right now, you're kind of seeing that with this Oklahoma offense. He's almost there, averaging after two games. Sooners are averaging 264.5 yards per game through the air, and almost 200. They're at 196.5 three and a half more yards per game, and he's there averaging it through two games at the University of Oklahoma. So I think he remained balanced. And and again, it's one of those things that it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. I said this about Lincoln Riley. I'll say it about Jeff Lebby, and I'll probably say it about whoever comes after Jeff Lebby. But if you can be balanced, if you can run and pass effectively, defenses have a hard time. And and you look at Nebraska's problems last week in the game that that got Scott Frost fired.
0: The defense struggled. Forty five points surrendered to Georgia Southern. You know, twenty eight of
1: those came in the first half. It, it took them a while just to get figure out which way was up. But six hundred forty two yards from Georgia Southern. 409 of those yards came in the air, 233 yards came on the ground. Georgia Southern averaged 7.8 yards per rush, 7.3 yards per pass. 7.8 yards every time they ran the ball, 7.3 yards every time they threw the ball. And that was the struggle. That, That shows you what a balanced offense can do. Uh, def- to, a, to a defense, it shows you why it's so difficult to, adru- to adjust when a team brings balance. So I think that's—I mean—that's that, where you got to start if you're Jeff Lebby. I think you move on from there to number two. You got to protect the football. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma is only a one of only five Power Five teams this year to not turn the ball over. Knock on wood that it remains that way after the trip to Lincoln. But in all the good that Oklahoma's done through the first two weeks of the season, maybe there's nothing greater that they've done than not turn the football over. Especially on the road. I mean, they haven't played on the road yet, but I mean you never want to give you never want to take the ball out of your hands and put it in the opponent's hands. But on the road, that becomes even more dangerous because what, what you don't want to do is give away momentum. What you don't want to do is you, you don't want to feed the emotion of the crowd. And this will be an emotionally charged crowd at the beginning of this game. It's, it's the first game post-Scott Frost. And, and that was such a big deal to Nebraska fans. In mass, Nebraska fans did not want Scott Frost back for the 2022 season. So there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm. There's going to be a lot of energy in that stadium to see this team take the field after Scott Frost has been dismissed. And if you turn the ball over, you fumble, you throw an interception. All you do is you feed that emotion. All you do is you take away a momentum from your side and you put it on the other side. And we'll talk about Oklahoma's defense here in just a minute against the Nebraska offense. But the reality is this Nebraska offense, it, they're dangerous. Nebraska hasn't lost two games this year because the offense can't score. Nebraska's lost two games this year because the defense can't stop your grandma from averaging three and a half yards per carry. And if you, if you turn the ball over, then you're just putting, the, putting it right in to the strength of this Nebraska team. You're putting the best unit back out on the field. So you remain balanced, you protect the football, and, and then finally, I, I, think, I think you see Oklahoma score quickly. You you have to. I mean, this like I just said, this crowd is going to be charged. They're going to be emotional. It's going to be a, it's going to be. A, I I think it's going to be a pretty raucous crowd at the beginning. But if you can jump out there and score fast, you can deflate that crowd pretty quick, because this is a crowd that's been beat up. This is a crowd that for a long time has seen their team just get steamrolled. This is a crowd that for a long time has seen their team blow leads. This is a crowd that for a long time has seen their team lose close games. Oklahoma has had 10 offensive possessions this season that resulted in a touchdown. So they're the two games that they've played. 10 times they've gotten the ball and they've scored a touchdown. Of those 10 times, only three times, only three times, three drives out of the 10, 30% of their scoring drives, three out of the 10, took more than two minutes off the clock. What that means is 70% of Oklahoma's touchdown drives this season have come in less than two minutes. That is the epitome of scoring quickly. And that's exactly what Oklahoma needs to do. They have to go out and they have to do that on Saturday in Lincoln. So who are we going to keep an eye on? I think, think, you know, everything comes in threes, right? We got three keys to the game. I'm going to give you three guys to watch. I think it starts with Dylan Gabriel. All you need from Dylan Gabriel is to be efficient. And so far, he's pretty much been the model of efficiency. He's number eight nationally with a QBR of of 190.1. So, I mean, he's pretty efficient. Oklahoma's scoring a lot of points. They're moving the ball. They're racking up 400 yards a game. He was the, the Big 12 newcomer of the week for what he did against Kent. And the reality is, guys, I don't know that Nebraska's defense isn't the worst defense they've seen. I mean, you wouldn't think so when you look at this, this the star power, when you look at the name on the logo, when you see the stadium that they play in. I'm not convinced that that Kent State isn't better. I'm not convinced that UTEP isn't better. Maybe they're not. But I think Dylan Gabriel, all you need him is to manage this game. We, we We make a mistake, I believe, when we compare Dylan Gabriel to the Baker Mayfields, and we compare him to the Kyler Murrays, and we compare him to the Jalen Hurts. And really, of those three, I think he compares more to Jalen Hurts than he does Mayfield and Murray because Mayfield and Murray were so electric in what they did with their, with their talent that they were the stars. What Dylan Gabriel needs to do is, is let Eric Gray be the star. What he needs to do is let Marvin Mims be the star, let Braden Willis be the star, and just get the ball to those guys. And in doing that, his numbers will be big, allow him to be the – the newcomer of the week, the player of the week, or however you label him moving forward, if he does that job of, of managing this offense and being efficient, everything else is going to come his way. But Dylan Gabriel doesn't have to go out and win this game on his own. He's just got to be efficient in, in how he leads the offense. Then the other guy we want to look at here is Marcus Major. Yeah, I said it. I know, I I've said it. I said in previous podcasts, this is Eric Gray's team. I've said just, you know, over the weekend um, after the the uh, Kent State game that it's, I mean, they've got clearly defined roles where Marcus Major gets half of the carries, half of the touches that Eric Gray does. I get all of that. But here's here's the point. Here's why I'm making Marcus Major a guy to watch on Saturday in Lincoln is because when Marcus Major gets the ball, it's pretty much a clutch moment. It, it's it's they need something it's third and short. It's you're inside the 10. You're inside the red zone. You're somewhere where you need something that Marcus Major specializes in. And right now he's specializing in 7.7 yards per carry of Oklahoma's running backs. He's the only one to score a rushing touchdown. And he's done that three times. What does that mean? That means that Marcus Major delivers when he's in the game, whenever he's asked to do whatever he's asked to do, he does it. So he's a guy don't want, you're going to want to watch because he's pretty clutch. And then thirdly, I'm calling on Braden Willis. Let's look at let's look for Braden Willis this this Saturday. He's averaging 11 yards per catch. He had two touchdowns in the opener against UTEP. He needs to bounce bounce back after a um yes you know, I mean it is what it is. It was a subpar game against Kent State. He needs to bounce back and he needs to be better. Had a little bit of the drops against Kent and um that's I, I don't want to say unacceptable how about it's uncharacteristic after what we saw from him in the first game now you got Daniel Parker coming in there and um and maybe maybe challenging maybe lighting a little fire one catch for 4 yards against Kent State is is uh is something we expect not to happen when we're talking about Braden Willis, we expect more, we want more, we demand more, and we know Braden Willis can deliver more. So there you have it. There's your offensive uh, preview. We've got the defensive uh, preview coming up. We've got your true or false statements. We've got the Big 12 rundown. It's all right here on the Sooner Nation podcast. You know, for all the things that Nebraska's defense is not, their offense actually is, and th- this is a good offense. And and we, you know, you, you look at it and you think, well, it's Nebraska. They're they're one and two on the season. They just fired their coach. They're they're struggling, uh, and all of that is true. But I want to go back to what I said at the the top. You know, in the first segment of this podcast, it's that. Nebraska is not struggling because of their offense. They they haven't lost two games because of what they do offensively. They they lost to Northwestern and they lost to Southern Georgia because of what they do defensively. But offensively, this is a program that's averaging 36 points per game, 492.3 yards of offense per game, 288 coming through the air, 203.7 coming on the ground. Truthfully, offensively, they're doing things better than what Oklahoma is. You know, there, there's two key categories here that Oklahoma has the advantage, and that's points per game, and it's only by three 39 for Oklahoma, 36 for Nebraska, and turnovers. Oklahoma hasn't turned the ball over, Nebraska has. But still, I mean, this is an offense that knows how to score, and they know how to score quickly. Casey Thompson, 866 passing yards in three games, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Anthony Grant averaging 6.2 yards per carry. He's got five touchdowns on the season, 428 total yards, uh, rushing yards. And then Trey Palmer is averaging 12.83, almost 13 yards per catch. So, I, I mean, I don't know how many different ways I can say the same thing when I, when I say that this offense is a dangerous offense. And when I said, you know, I'm not for sure that Kent State's not better defensively than Nebraska. I'm not for sure that UTEP may not be a little bit better better defensively than Nebraska with some things that they're able to do with their personnel. Here's what I do know. I do know that this is the best offense that Oklahoma's going to face this season. No, sorry. This is the best offense that Oklahoma's faced to this point of the season. How's that? It's a really good offense. And the reason why is because they're they're balanced. And for all the things that Scott Frost did wrong at Nebraska, one of the things he did right was bring in Mark Whipple to run this offense. And, and the results have paid off. And unfortunately, there's just no talent on the defense. It's too little too late to save Scott Frost's job. And when you lose to Georgia Southern, I mean, like you're done. We had a whole article at, at our website, Harland sportscom where we're talking about, no, Scott Frost will still be the coach when Oklahoma goes to Lincoln because the, the Cornhuskers can't fire him until October 1st because that buyout drops by $7 million. How do you get around that? You lose the Georgia Southern. And, and then it's either like, hey, look, uh, it's it's either... That the head coach, the head football coach, or the athletic director, and Chev Alberts is like, yeah, I think I, I like my job a little bit better. So here's an extra seven thousand, Scotty. Hit the road. So if you're if you're Ted Roof, if you're Brent Venables, I mean, your are game plan. Remember when I said that probably if we if we see Oklahoma offensively kind of open up the playbook and do some things that they haven't done through the first two games that. Maybe that's an indicator things aren't going well. I think if Oklahoma doesn't do that defensively, if they don't bring pressure, if they don't disguise blitzes, if if they don't press in coverage, if they don't if they go out there and run a vanilla defense like we saw against UTEP and like what well, we saw against Kent State, there there's gonna be a big a big day for Nebraska and a long day for Oklahoma defensively. Vanilla won't get it done. Against this Nebraska offense, now I don't think Oklahoma is in jeopardy of losing this game. I'm just making a point that this isn't a dog that Oklahoma is going to go fight.
0: Nebraska can score some points, so I think your three keys, if you're if you're coaching defense,
1: the first thing you got to do what you've done. Do keep doing what you do, and that is make plays in the backfield, be disruptive in the backfield. Oklahoma leads all power five teams this year with 23 tackles for loss. So, even though we haven't seen blitzes, even though we haven't seen them do things and stunts and stuff like that to bring up pressure. We're still seeing them make all kinds of crazy plays in the backfield because you've got guys like Ethan Downs, because you've got guys like Reggie Grimes, because you've got guys like Danny Stutzman who are able to get into place, to use their, their speed, to use their power, to use their
0: size. Isaiah Cole blowing things up in the middle. They're, they're able to, to get it done.
1: And you've got to find ways to keep doing that you got to find ways to keep putting that pressure, to let Jeffrey Johnson keep eating up blockers so somebody can come behind him and get in the backfield.
0: When that stops, then, then offenses work. But if the
1: running back has to dodge a tackler before he hits the line of scrimmage, that just gives the linebacker more time to close in. If the quarterback's running for his life, even though his head, his vision may be downfield, it takes away half of his options. So you just got to keep doing what you're doing. Make plays in the backfield. I think the second thing you want to do defensively if you're Oklahoma is you want to stop the run. Make this thing one-dimensional. Make Casey Thompson beat you. He's capable of doing it, but take away some of his toys and make him do it by making good decisions, by not panicking when pressure comes and putting throws on the money. When we, we you know, look, go back to number one, making plays in the backfield, we've seen Casey Thompson in a clean pocket and we've seen Casey Thompson when he's rattled. And if you take away the running game and you put pressure in the backfield, guess what that does? That's going to rattle Casey Thompson. That means he's going to be getting knocked around. That means he's going to be running for his life. When that version of Casey Thompson is not as, anywhere near as efficient as the version of Casey Thompson that gets a clean pocket. And that's really true with all quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks are really calm under pressure. Some most quarterbacks most quarterbacks are are ride the struggle bus when they're under pressure. Baker Mayfield was so good under pressure. Kyler Murray was so good under pressure. Globe is not playing Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. They're not playing anybody of that caliber. And for all the talent that I believe Casey Thompson has, he still gets rattled. And so, if you make plays in the backfield, if you stop the run, then all you have to do is number three: you got to contain Casey Thompson. You got to contain him. Don't let him outside. Do you remember that play? Week zero against Northwestern. Do you remember that play where he, we we talked about it here on this podcast. Do you remember where he like ran around in the backfield for 10 seconds? And finally he makes like a 40 yard heave downfield. That happens because you don't keep containment on him. And that, that's going to make some things a little bit more different. Maybe even difficult for Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes. Because they're the widest guys. And you don't want Casey Thompson to be wider than you. And if you're going after Casey Thompson, you better get him. I think it opens things up in the middle for, for a guy like Danny Stutzman to come in. David Aguebu to come in. I think I think you have those opportunities for those type of things to happen, and and maybe this is a game where David Igwebu gets more quarterback pressures, more quarterback sacks than what he's gotten this this season. We saw Danny Stutzman get one sack last week against Kent. Maybe this is a game where Danny Stutzman gets one and a half, two, three sacks. I'm I'm curious how many times the linebackers. I'm really curious how many times they get to touch Casey Thompson. Whether it's a quarterback sack or bringing him down at the line of scrimmage or bringing him down just ahead of the line. How many opportunities, how many targets will they have? How many targets will Billy Bowman have on Casey Thompson coming up in support? Because you want to contain him and funnel him through the middle. And then let those other guys eat. So there's your three defensive keys. Make plays in the backfield, stop the run and contain Casey Thompson. I think if Oklahoma is successful in doing those three, ten, those three things, you know, 60 to 70% of the time, then you, they walk out with a, a, a mildly comfortable win. So who does that put us on watch for? I think it puts us on watch for guys like Danny Stutzman for the reasons I've already mentioned. Danny leads the team with 21 total tackles right now. Was insane last week against Kent State, tackling everybody all over the field. I think he's a guy that's, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's going to be a first contact guy. And when we're talking about stopping the run, that means Danny Stutzman is going to be huge in that endeavor. He'll be a first contact guy and being that first contact guy, he, he's either got to bring Casey Thompson or, you know, Anthony Grant or whoever has the ball. He's got to bring him down or at least hold him until somebody else can come in and support. And that brings me to my second guy is Billy Bowman because he's going to be busy this week. Working at that strong safety position, he's going to have multiple responsibilities with a mobile quarterback. And and the good news is you you got to play against a fairly mobile quarterback the week before uh, with Kent State. And so some of those things, some of those, those disciplines that you're going to have to have, some of those reads that you're going to have to make, you got a you got a little bit, you know, a practice in that last week against Kent, but it kind of Elevates this week against a more talented, better athletic guy, but Billy Bowman's gonna have to make the right reads because you don't want a safety out of
0: place when you got a, a quarterback scrambling and looking downfield. And then I, I mentioned Reggie Grimes.
1: He's at, he's got four sacks on the season. He's got nine tackles for loss through two games. Reggie Grimes has been a one-man wrecking crew. He's been unstoppable. But do they continue to does he do they continue to let him crash? Do they continue to send him, or do they keep him wide and let him clean up in case he gets flushed? I'm I mean I'm I'm really curious about that. Is this a different style game for Reggie Grimes? I'm going to be anxious to see it. I know you probably are as well. True or false coming up. We got five questions, five statements from you guys, the the listeners, and uh, we couldn't be more thankful.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. It's the favorite portion of the podcast. True or false, you send me your statement and I'll tell you whether I think it's true or whether it's false. We got five this week. And uh, again, I'm sorry. The last two podcasts, we have not done this. Uh, Just because of time constraints, because of my schedule and so forth. But I'm back. Back in the Heartland Sports Studios here in Oklahoma City this week. And so let's do this. First one comes from Travis. Let me look through these real fast. Um, Okay, so they're not all about Oklahoma and Nebraska. But I think three of the five are. So here we go. Travis says this uh, true or false. Nebraska is more dangerous without Scott Frost. I mean, here's the thing, Travis, this is a great question because I don't know the answer. And and this may be like the first time I've ever been stumped and not been able to say true or false. And I'm, I'm probably going to pick something. I'm probably going to say it's, I'm probably going to say it's true. But there's so many factors here in this. There, there's so many. Just for for example, um, how much fight does Nebraska have left in them? Those aren't things that can be measured by the guy that's on the sideline. Now, they can be impacted by him. But this is a team that's lost two of their first three games. Last week, they got embarrassed. At home in an and a loss that was so epic that the school was willing to pay an extra seven million dollars just to terminate the head coach. To say they were embarrassed last week is 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 probably the biggest understatement you can make in college sports right now. Think about that. They were like, "Look, look, Scott, we're we're going to just close the door on this thing right now." And we know we still got three weeks in, in September and we're not even close to that, uh, that October 1st deadline that we all had circled on our calendars for your departure. But this is so embarrassing. This is so out of control. This is so chaotic. This is such a laughingstock that just take the $7 million and leave. Of course, it was more than seven. I mean, it, it got dropped by $7 million on October 1st. So how much fight does this team have left? Like if Oklahoma, if they really do go out and 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 do like we hope they will, like I said, you go out and you score, you score fast, you score first. Do they roll over because of what they've been through? I mean, when you have a head coaching change and you got a guy step up to be uh, the interim, like what's happening at Nebraska, there's not a lot that changes with you positionally. But philosophically, there could be some changes. I mean, Mark Whipple seems to have a good grasp, a good control on this offense, and I don't—I just don't know if you have the personnel defensively to do things differently. But I do think you can go crazy with the trick plays. I mean, that's—that's that's how you beat a guy that's—that's that's better than you. If a team is more talented, if they're deeper. You just run flea flickers, you run end the rounds. I mean, you run all that stuff, fake punts, onside kicks. That's the type of philosophical stuff that could change. And, and because of that, because those are the things that you really, I mean, Nebraska is going to have to show something that's not on film. To surprise Oklahoma, they're going to have to show something that's not on film. And when you lose to Northwestern to start the season, When you lose a dogfight like they did last week, there's really probably not a lot out there under Scott Frost that's not on film already. That's the advantage you have of being the undefeated team and really not being challenged as opposed to the team that's had to fight and claw and scratch and lose two close games at the end. If Nebraska has it in their arsenal, they've probably used it this season. But what's new philosophically in what they're going to do? Those are the unknowns. Those are the unexpected. How is this team going to react to seeing Scott Frost? I mean, Scott Frost was instrumental in Casey Thompson going to Nebraska. I think Mark Wimple had a lot to do with it as well. But the point is, Scott Frost got Casey Thompson. I mean, Brent Venables talked about how they wanted Casey Thompson in Norman. But Scott Frost got him. How's Casey Thompson going to, going to react? Is he going to, is he going to dedicate this game to the coach or is he going to be tired and frustrated and just quit the third time Reggie Grimes bends him, you know, bends him down by, you know, breaking him in half or whatever. So, yeah, I think Travis, the more I talk about this, I think it might be true. I think they become more dangerous because of the unknown, because of, of what might change philosophically. I don't think, obviously, they don't become more dangerous on a talent level. I don't think anything really changes uh, offensively with this team outside of what I said, the potential for trick plays. I think when you see the changes, it's going to be defensive side of the ball. You have to do something different. You give up 700 yards to Georgia Southern. You got to do something different. So, Travis, I'm going to say five minutes later, uh, I'm going to say that's true. Uh, this comes from Bailey number two. Uh, with cancellations of the Georgia and Tennessee series, the SEC is happening for Oklahoma in 2023. Um, Bailey, I think this is false. I don't think it's happening in 2023. And and I know some people are pointing to the Texas Alabama game that has not been um, it's not been rescheduled yet. It's not been postponed. Uh, that tells me right there it's not happening in 2023. I mean, if, if if they want that game for dollars, they want that game for eyeballs. You saw how successful it was last week with that game being in Austin. It'll be just as epic, just as a successful uh, television viewership wise as it was last week. Next year when it's when it's in um, when it's in Tuscaloosa. But here's here's what you got to look at. I think the reason that these things were canceled was because the return games weren't going to be possible. So you still could have this thing happen in 2025. I I don't think the cancellation of these two series means that it's happened in 2023 or 2024. I think what it meant was there's no way that the return game can happen in 2025 because it'll be conference. And so these contracts will be null and void. And then you have to deal with buyouts and all that stuff. So you just cancel them now. Georgia is supposed to come to Oklahoma 2023. That game is supposed to take place. The return game is 2025. Oklahoma is supposed to play Tennessee 2024. And then return game is 2025 in that series. 2025 is not going to be possible because those will be conference games for sure by 2025. That's why these 2023 Georgia, 2024 Tennessee, that's why they were canceled. And I, I mean, SMU is kind of a, kind of an attractive opponent, but compared to Georgia, compared to Tennessee, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold water. So I think that has more to do with it, Bailey, than anything else that those return games were scheduled for 2025, um, and beyond, and they're just not going to happen. All right, here we go. Uh, Michael, number three, Daniel Parker. Ooh, this is a good one. Uh, Daniel Parker is more of a true
0: tight end than Braden Willis. Wow. Um, I mean,
1: from the standpoint of what he played at Missouri and what he's doing at Oklahoma now, yes. Because Braden Willis transitioned, you know, that Lincoln Riley's offense had that H-back. And now, Braden Willis is is a true tight end, and Braden Willis is the starting tight end. And when you look at size, Braden Willis is taller than Daniel Parker. He's got him by two inches. They're both in their last year uh, of college eligibility. I mean, they're. I'm. I'm gonna say false. I mean, I I I see I see your point here. But just because Braden Willis was an H back and not a true tight end for the first four years of his college career, doesn't mean Daniel Parker is more of a true tight end. I, I think Dan, I think these guys are going to complement each other very very well. I think there's a lot that's, that can be said, a lot that's going to happen with them. But uh, I think they're on equal footing. Um, I you know, if you made me pick right now, if I could only get one of these guys active for my game. Uh, I, I would take Braden Willis, but that could just be the bias of, of watching Braden Willis grow up with this team and, and watching him develop into the player that he is now. But I don't think anybody's disappointed or sad that, that you've got a pretty good number two option in Daniel Parker. Kin says this number four, Ken says uh, Dylan Gabriel could be in over his head in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, Ken, I'm going to agree with you on this, and I'm going to say true, because you used the word could, not you didn't say Dylan Gabriel will be, or Dylan Gabriel is, you said Dylan Gabriel could be in over his head in Lincoln, Nebraska, and and I'm, I, I kind of cheated on this because I was working on an, a post idea for Heartland Sports, where I looked at Dylan Gabriel's biggest moments, hostile crowds. Prior to this, and I don't know that there's, I mean, I, well, I'll tell you this. He played on the, in 2019, he played on the road at Cincinnati. Uh, In 2020, they played the Boca Raton Bowl, which I believe was Florida. No, because, oh, you played Florida in 2020, didn't they? I don't know, but they played the Boca Raton Bowl. uh, and, And here's the thing, against Cincinnati in 2019, he was only a sophomore right? Sophomore 19, uh, junior 20, 2021, he got hurt. I, yeah, we're seeing, I don't know. He was young. How's that? In 2019, he threw for 297 yards, three interceptions, and one touchdown in a loss to Cincinnati. In the Boca Raton Bowl against an opponent that I can't remember off the top of my head, he had 217 yards and two touchdowns. I don't think either one of those crowds with all due respect to Cincinnati, who's coming into the big 12 and I'm a little bit jealous. I didn't get to experience Oklahoma in the big 12 with Cincinnati because I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think Cincinnati is going to add some quality to the big 12. But all that said, neither one of those crowds is going to be like what's going to happen Saturday morning in Lincoln,
0: Nebraska. It's going to be epic. It's not the crowd's fault that Scott Frost was the head coach of this program.
1: It's not the crowd's fault that Scott Frost has lost all these close games. It's not the crowd's fault that Scott Frost is gone. The crowd will be there, they'll show up, and they will do their part. Which goes back to what I said earlier in the podcast. You don't want to turn the ball over and and keep feeding the emotion of this crowd. So will he be as different than he could be? And so, Ken, I'm going to agree with you that Dylan Gabriel could be in over his head because that's not a statement of guarantee. It's not a statement of opinion uh, as fact. It's a statement of what could possibly happen. And the truth is Dylan Gabriel has never played in front of a crowd this large that's hostile towards him. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I like this because it will make him less rattled at the Red River rivalry when only half of the crowd hates him. All right, here we go. Last but not least, Lauren, number five. Lauren says this, the return of Wanya Morris will be uh, a boost to the offense. That's absolutely right, Lauren. I agree with you. I say that's true. Um, you know, they've not, and, and in the two-game absence where he's been suspended, they've not found an answer at right tackle. Wanya Morris will be the third guy to start that position in three games. So they, th- this offensive line has given up five quarterback sacks through the first two games. So I think they need Wanya Morris on this offensive line. I think that is a huge, huge factor that I didn't address anywhere else earlier in the podcast. So yeah, Lauren, you're, you're spot on. I also think Robert Congo coming back and being healthy is going to be uh, advantageous to Oklahoma's offensive efforts as well. But uh, definitely Wanya Morris is the biggest thing that's going to help on this offensive line. And that's going to be a good thing for them to have back. We're going to run down to Big 12. We had some garbage games this week. Last week was, was a pretty good week with only one garbage game, but there's multiple, multiple garbage games this week. Here's what's happening in the Big 12 with some predictions.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: So the Big 12 Conference doubled its garbage games from Week 2 to Week 3. Uh, you got Townsend out West Virginia. Surely surely the Mountaineers can find a win there and finally get off the schneid. Um, I think that's a big a big deal for Neil Brown. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff at Oklahoma State. Again, um, neither game has a point spread and doesn't deserve a point spread, and really doesn't deserve to be on week three of the schedule. Then you've got a, a an okay slate. I mean, it's just it's just not as good as what we had the week before. Even the the non garbage games. Um, I mean this this. I think Oklahoma West, Oklahoma West Virginia, Oklahoma Nebraska, and then Kansas Houston. To Me, those are probably your biggest games of the week for the Big 12. Uh, I'll give you Oklahoma, my Oklahoma, Nebraska prediction here in just a minute. But uh, also at 11 a.m., is Texas State at Baylor again? That's on Fox Sports One. Baylor comes in here as a 30 point under, uh, excuse me, a 30 point favorite after losing at BYU last week. Um, this is one of those games where you know, you know, the outcome, you know, Baylor's going to win. Um, but can Texas State, you know, play the game within the game and cover by 30? That's what I'm looking at. That's what, if I were to peek in on this game, which I 100% will not. I just want you to know, I 100% will not peek in on this game uh, because I'll be all up OU Nebraska during this time. But I don't know that Baylor covers 30. I'm just saying that. I'm just throwing that out there. Wouldn't touch this game. Wouldn't snip this game. Wouldn't even look at this game. But I don't know that Baylor covers 30 uh, against Texas State. Townsend, West Virginia, like I said, at noon. Uh, no one really cares that that's on ESPN. Plus. Oh, Ohio at Iowa State. A little bit intriguing here because uh, the Cyclones are 2 and 0 on the season, but they haven't been super impressive. They just haven't been. They're 18 and a half point favorites over the Bobcats, who are 1 1. The Bobcats have a terrible defense. And when I say terrible, I mean they're giving up like 42 points per game. Um, but again, 18 and a half, there's a reason why you're playing a team that gives up 42 points per game and you're only an 18 and a half point favorite. It's because offensively
0: the, the cyclones are riding the sh- struggle bus. I mean, they're, they're run, they're struggling to run the ball.
1: And I think Ohio can probably make this interesting. I mean that point spread I think is right on 18 and a half. I mean if you made me, I think I would I think I think this is a game where I can see Iowa State winning by 17. And obviously that wouldn't cover 18 and a half. So give give me Ohio on the 18 and a half points. Tulane at Kansas State, again ESPN Plus. I think this game probably would deserve better than ESPN Plus. If they're, I just, I'm mean like 2-0 Tulane, 2-0 Kansas State. I'm going to tell you right now, Kansas State's in for a dogfight here. The Wildcats are a 14-point favorite in this game. Give me Tulane. Not to win, but definitely give me Tulane to cover those 14 points. I think this is a close game. I think I think the it's it's 47.5 on the over-under. I think that's about spot on. I can see this being like a 27-21 win for the Wildcats. Which obviously covers that 14. So yeah, give me that all day. I I think I like Tulane here on um, getting double digits. Um Kansas at Houston, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Um I look, I here I, I'm 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 I've bought in on the Jayhawks, okay? Make fun of me, laugh at me, call me names, whatever. But I've bought in on the Kansas Jayhawks. This game's on ESPNU. The OU game should have uh, wound down by 3 o'clock. I'm going to be watching this game. I don't think Houston should be an 8.5 point favorite over undefeated Kansas team. By the way, a Kansas team that's averaging 55.5 points per game playing against a Houston defense that's given up an average of 34 points per game. Did you see what Houston did last week? They went to Lubbock, Texas, and they got beat 33 to 30 to a backup quarterback for the Red Raiders. By the way, that backup quarterback just happened to, end, uh, to be the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week after throwing for a career high 350 yards, and, and yeah, I think he ran for one touchdown and and passed for two more as the Red Raiders beat the Cougars 33 to 30 in double overtime. All I'm saying is. I I don't know that Kansas needs to be more than a touchdown underdog to a team that that's struggling to stop offenses and and the Jayhawks just what well, we've seen through two games I mean like it's not like they didn't go to West Virginia and win on the road okay I, I like if if they've if they've played who is it Arkansas Pine Bluff that Oklahoma State's playing. Or if they played Townsend at West Virginia's playing in back to back games, you can maybe label uh, label what uh, Kansas as a fraud. But after last week's win at West Virginia, you got to start taking Kansas serious.
0: So I'm saying it right here. The Houston, nine point favorite. Give me the Jayhawks.
1: Here we go. Texas Tech at NC State. Speaking of Texas Tech, the 10 point. Um, 10-point underdog at North Carolina State, number 16. Uh, I, I Texas Tech has been better than I anticipated them to be. I think initially in our Big 12 power rankings, I had them either at the very bottom or close to the very bottom, and they've been better. 2-0, four games out from bowl eligibility. <laughs> um, the Smith kid at quarterback has got 571 yards in less than two full games, six passing touchdowns. They've got offense figured out out in Lubbock. But what can they do in Raleigh, North Carolina against NC State? NC State comes in this game as a ten point favorite. I'm I'm gonna I guess I'm going all underdogs because here we go. Give me Texas Tech. I can't believe I'm saying this because I was so low on them to start the season. But give me Texas Tech getting ten ten points from NC State. The nightcap for the Big 12 on the Longhorn Network means no one will watch it. UTSA at Texas. Here's what I'm curious about. And and it's interesting that this is only a 12 and a half point spread. UTSA, um, they're dangerous what they can do offensively. They're terrible defensively. Texas played well against Alabama. They dominated that game up front with their defensive line.
0: I think this point spreads I think it's low. But then again, I think
1: is Texas gonna get like a funk after the week after Alabama? And so then I think the point spread's spot on. I th- I guess I just don't like any games in the Big 12 this week. But give me another underdog just because it's Texas, just so I can hate. Just so if UTSA keeps this thing close, just so if UTSA um, pulls it upset, I don't think they will. I can at least say I told you so. So Texas, 12.5-point favorites. I'll take UTSA to cover. And then that brings us to Oklahoma and Nebraska. The Sooners are an 11-point favorite over the Huskers in Lincoln. Over-under in this game is 66. So let me just tell you right now, I think I would go the under on this. Um, according to ESPN's matchup predictor, Oklahoma has a 75.3% chance of winning this game. I think they do. And I think they cover, I think they cover the 11 points by winning. Let's, let's go 35, 21. Oklahoma wins by two touchdowns in Lincoln, uh, pull away late. Uh, so keep it close in the first half, third quarter, they start to pull away and then they just dominate in the fourth quarter for a 35, 21 win. That's my official prediction Oklahoma, Nebraska. Tell me where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me why you think I'm crazy. And, um, and we'll talk about it Sunday after the weekend of college football. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your football. Boomer soon, everybody.
0: for the wild.